0: Welcome to Bellwether. Thank you for joining us this week. This week we have a guest and I like to bring on guests. And I think if you look at all the guests that I have, they're always extremely valuable guests because I vet them out for you. I know that they have something valuable to give to you. And this week is certainly no different. As we get into the holiday seasons, as we get into all of the the craziness of the world and everyone's very stressed and, and we hear about all the things we're supposed to be at work. We hear about all of the things like resiliency and all these buzzwords. Um, They bother me because I don't feel like they have the proper context and um, they don't really hit the mark in the way that they should. And so this week's guest is going to teach us in a very real way what resiliency is. And I think it's going to be a fantastic level of perspective and a lot to learn. I've had a a couple quick conversations with him. I've learned a lot already. I'm very happy to have here today, Dan McQueen. Dan, welcome to the Bellwether Hub podcast. Thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: So I want, Dan's got a story, which is unlike stories you've heard before. So Dan, I want you to cue everything up. We're going to start with the story, share your story so that we can then pepper you with questions afterward. But we need that context because it's it's a pretty wild ride. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Please tell your story.
1: Thanks, Jim. So hello, everyone. My name is Dan McQueen. Uh, Until recently, I was living in London, jolly old. Moved back in September, but the story kind of takes place in 2014. I was having these headaches that got worse over a few weeks. I went to A&E twice. For those of you that don't know, A&E is accident emergency in the UK. You know, thinking these headaches were kind of serious. So I should get them checked out. And I was told, oh no, no, they seem like they're vertigo. We've done some tests. They don't seem that serious. We'll, we'll send you home. They gave me some pills and they sent me home for that. But they told me on the way out, if my headaches continued, get them checked at an optometrist. Just like, okay, sure, whatever. So the headaches persisted. They were getting real bad. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to get my eyes checked to an optometrist. Midway through the exam, he stopped it, which is not a casual move. He gave me a sealed envelope, also not a casual move, and told me to go directly to Moorfield's Hospital, which I did, sort of. I stopped at home first to grab a book, Jack Reacher book, actually, by Lee Child. Uh, my phone charger, some food, I want something to eat and some supplies. But I was determined to get to the bottom of what was happening with this. So Moorfield's Hospital turned into Charing Cross, turned into I was having brain surgery the next day because I had a non-cancerous cyst in my brain that needed to be operated on. So zero to 60 in, in a matter of hours, I'm deciding that I'm having brain surgery tomorrow. You know, I, I call my manager, message your friends like, hey, uh, I'm having this tomorrow, guess I won't be in Monday. Message my mom and she just retired, so she was able to come over to London. So on June 21st, 2014, I was on the operating table. My mom was in the air flying to London. Something went wrong and I had a massive bleed in the brain, a brain hemorrhage. They think the cyst burst when they operated. So my mom lands and finds them in critical condition. I was in a coma for four weeks. Well, was in and out of consciousness for months after that. When all was said and done, I was learning how to walk, talk, and smile again. So needless to say, this kind of rocked my world and rocked my family's world. Um, I remember waking up in the hospital with my brother, mom, and dad around me. And, and I go, I can't talk because I had a breathing tube removed and I couldn't talk. And I go, give me a pen and paper. I write down, I point at my brother, I go, you, I point down, and I write down on the pen and paper, I go, get me out of here to my brother, because I didn't think I had any insurance for this stuff. And I was thinking, you know, he'll bust me out of here, let's get out of here. So, needless to say, he didn't, and thank goodness he didn't, because I was in the hospital for months after that, but that's how things all kicked off for me, Jim. Which is, so, I could take this in
0: many different directions um one is the perspective on obviously you didn't plan for this and obviously this kind of jacked up whatever plans you had 8 years ago and that's one right we never know when something like this could potentially happen but two is the recovery right i mean uh, a bleeding in the brain learning to walk learning to talk learning to smile again and being able to then build a business get back with your family build a life do all of these things after i want to talk about both of those um where do you want <laughs> where do you want to start talk to me first about the recovery because if you're sitting in the hospital for months um obviously this is a, a so you're in a coma for a month in and out of consciousness for months recovery
1: has to be intense talk to me a little bit about that yeah for sure so you know, I was, my leg had frozen at an angle in the ICU, the intensive care in it. So my left leg was essentially jacked up and I, I couldn't use it. I couldn't, I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair, right? So getting in from the bed to the wheelchair took 30 minutes, then 25, then 20 then 15, then, then 10, then seven, then six, then eight, then 10, then five. Everything was difficult. Everything was hard earned wins. And it took forever to get in that bloody wheelchair. But you keep chipping away at this. And Then I was transferred to the Wolfson Rehab Center. I remember telling my dad when this happened, you know, I made a few thoughts in my head, like strategies to how I'm going to recover. And the first one was speed. And that was one that I identified early as like, this is crucial. I need to go fast if I'm going to go far. I told my dad, you know, you have to apply for these rehab centers. I go, hey, dad, make this happen. Thinking like, I don't know, he's going to like. Grease the wheels. I make something happen. Like get me in this rehab center ASAP because I want to get after this rehab as quickly as I can. Now, I don't think he did, but I got into Wolston rehab center, which is great. Uh, but when I first got to Wolston rehab center, I couldn't walk, right? I was not know how to walk again. So they are doing this experimental, I don't know if it's experimental, but they were doing this, this rehab where they inject your, your muscle with Botox, like the stuff you put in your lips and face for women. It kind of relaxes the muscle and it allowed to stretch it back to normal. So they use this needle. It was probably about, well, it's probably about this big, to be honest, but it felt like it was a sword going in the back of your leg. And then they would give you this, um I throw this splint every night. when splint was like a cast. And that was horrifically painful. And I never whinged about anything in the hospital, but the splint, I'd be like, oh, this, this fucking splint. Um, I hated the splint because it was so bloody painful. And I always say it's painful and everyone goes, okay, sure, dad. I'm like, no, no, you have no idea how painful this was. I'll, I'll share a story with you now, Jim. It kind of talks about how painful the splint was. So the first night I wore the splint all the way through the night, no issue, no stress. This will be easy. I thought this will be easy. I'm looking forward to this. It'll be great. I'm stretching in the day and the nighttime and then rehabbing during the day. The second night after 20 minutes, it was painful after 30 was dreadful. After 40 it was unbearable, we took the splint off. Well, we decided to do one hour a night with the splint because I wanted to walk. I wanted to get back to walking, and how I get back to walking was stretching the leg. So the third night, they wrapped the splint up. They gave me the clicker. We set the timer on the phone for one hour. Now, the, the ward of the Wilson in an L shape, so small on this side, long on this side, okay? And after 10 minutes, it's painful. After 20, it's dreadful. After 30, it's unbearable. I'm thinking, we're doing this for an hour? This is insanity. What was I thinking? An hour? This is ridiculous. I start passing the clicker back and forth to distract myself from the pain. Now, I have double vision, which means I can't see anything. I'm feeling this, and I miss one of my tosses, and it crashes on the floor. Shit. I look over the edge of the bed. I see the clicker on the floor. The solution to my problems on the floor the only problem is I'm splinted up. I can't move. And the floor is about three and a half feet on the ground. Help, help, I yell. Wolfson rehab Center is this, an L-shape. They're on the far side of the ward. They can't hear me. No one's coming. We're 30 minutes on the board, which means they're going to come back and maybe, well, maybe 30, but maybe 40, maybe 50. They might've gone to Haiti for all I know, Jim. They might've gone forever. I don't know where they're gone. The solution to my problem is right there. The only problem is it's three and a half feet on the ground on the linoleum. If I dropped down under the bed, I I did some quick maths in my mind. Not my strong suit, I'll be honest with you, Jim. And I decided that it's about a 50-50 chance of me breaking my arm. A 50-50 shot. So, But if I break my arm, at least I can click the clicker, get the splint off, and then they can fix my arm. But if I don't go for the clicker, I'm stuck here waiting for them to come back and hoping. Kind of like a metaphor for this whole thing. You can't wait for someone to come save you. So I decide to risk it and grab the clicker. I crash down in a heap. I flip the coin. And the arm holds. I hammer the clicker, expect them to come burst into the room to come to my rescue. Nay, they kind of strolled in five minutes later. What are you doing on the floor, Dan? Well, let's not worry about that right now. Let's get the leg off, bleed the splint off my leg and get me sorted out there. But I learned some lessons from this uh the first being don't pass the clicker back and forth with double vision that's a bad idea it's a good lesson that's a great lesson uh i really recommend that the second being do the splint up at the hip not at the ankle so i could undo it should this happen again luckily it never did but like things like that that like you're always kind of learning and iterating on this just as in life like you, you realize like i failed at this process let's do it better next time better than yesterday is one thing that i always try to uh, exhume or like to try and portray and like demonstrate. And this was a prime example of let's, you know, let's not make the same mistake twice or at least not three times, maybe twice sometimes. But that's to show you how painful the splint was. I was willing to risk breaking my arm, flipping a coin for the arm, 50-50 shot, break my arm to get the splint off my leg because it was so painful. But it was, it was very much a grueling rehab process. Like I moved from the splint, walking on the zimmer frame which is a four post thing that you kind of lurch forward on and every step you take jim it, it reminds you you're alive i'll tell you that much i had a well, grimace on my face there's a great photo i've got i can pass it to your team afterwards i've got there's like this this scowl on my face where i'm just walking and trotting on i moved up to the ferrari which is um a four-wheeled walker that you kind of walk fast on you can kind of waddle quickly on this and I moved up to Naked Walks now. When Naked Walk was walking with those supporter aids. You notice a gamification here. Like I'm kind of having fun while I'm doing this. And I kind of progressed the walking space, right? Like it was quite a quite a progression there. But that should give us something to chat about there, Jim. Is there anything that catches your well, eye?
0: Yeah, it's so one people forget about how long an hour is. Right? An hour takes yeah. forever when you're in excruciating pain. <laughs> And, you know, I get annoyed when I have to sit and watch the kid for 10 minutes and they're yelling, but this is, you know, this is kind of a different element, but what's, what I take away from that is, um, what you said, you can't wait for someone else to help you, right? When you calculate, you have to know what you have to do. There's, there's a little bit about knowing what it's going to take to get what you need, but there is an efficacy and accountability aspect in terms of, you know, I'm ultimately responsible for my comfort or helping myself in this moment. I'm ultimately responsible for this. And this is my current situation. And and now it's up to me to do this. Um, Talk to me about how you're almost going for, you know, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond falling out of the bed. It goes into now up to the Ferrari kind of walker and it goes into the naked walks. Ultimately, this is you and you had to gamify and come with it in your mind. Talk to me about your mind process a little bit.
1: Yeah, so it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. So it's like, well, maybe the drop from the trigger was probably my fault, to be honest. But either way, it's my responsibility to fix the solution. Like, I got to kind of resolve this. And the mindset was so key because your mindset's everything, right? Like, I'll share another story with you, Jim, that I think you're kind of, you're, you're teeing me up for here is something I call constructive optimism. And this is learning to walk in tune Broadway. It kind of goes to showcase the mindset that I've adopted this process. So learn to walk in Tuning Broadway from the naked walks to the Zimmer frame to the Ferrari, to the naked walk to walk in Tuning Broadway. Now, Tuning Broadway, for those of you that don't know, is, is in South London, What they call up and coming, which means it's on the verge of like sketchiness, but kind of like sexy enough that like developers can call it up and coming, which means like in, in like 10 years time, it'll be popping. But it's been up and coming for 10 years, so you never know. But, Needless to say, it's a bit of a difficult place to learn to walk again. I'm walking with a cane. I'm walking with an eye patch. I'm a unit out there. Well, I'm a Bambi on ice, to be honest. I turn the corner onto Tuttle Road for the first time and get bumped into by someone pretty hard. Stagger back and okay, cut off by someone else or someone bleeding on the sidewalk beside me. I'm like, this is a wild place to learn how to walk. People kept bumping into me, crashing past me. This is the worst place to learn how to walk in the world. Can't you see I'm trying to learn here? Can't you say I'm trying to walk here? Like, give me a freaking slack, man. I was so frustrated and dejected by this because I'm trying real hard here and you guys aren't giving me any slack. But I was like, and I was like, this was days that I was dejected. like, oh, I got to walk again. This place sucks. This is the worst place to learn going to walk in the world. And then one day my perspective shifted. This isn't the worst place to learn how to walk in the world. This is the best place. Because if I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. Bump into me, crash past me, bring it on! I look forward to my walks. I look forward to that contact because that's teaching me in the best place to learn how to walk in the world. Now, and Broadway didn't change, right? It's still in Broadway, but it went from the worst to the best in my head, and my mood reflected that. I began looking forward to my walks. Bump into me, crash past me, bring it on! This is what I wanted. That's like an example of like how my mindset adapted to this process. Like if I'm if I think about it differently, the outcome will be different. And I knew that, like, I think how I came up with this mindset shift was uh, how am I going to think through this problem? I'm frustrated by walking into it in Broadway. How can I make it less crap in my mind? This is the worst place to learn to walk in the world. I'm like, well, why is it the worst? Because like, it's the most difficult. People bump into you, crash past you, like, well, couldn't that also be the best? Because that way you're stress testing this in the best place to learn to walk in the world like, well, maybe it is. And then I started bringing out that mindset. And when I did that, my whole world changed. Like I, I began looking forward to those walks. And, and when you look forward to what you're doing, it makes all the bloody difference. And I think that's through this whole process, I began shifting my perspective on like, well, is this the worst or is it the best? And like, don't get me wrong. I'm not in, in delusions that this is like a good experience, but it's the experience you're in right now. And like I said, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. So like I have the responsibility of learning to walk again. And I can choose it for it to be the worst or I can choose for it to be the best. But I choose that. And I want to choose it as the best because then I can adapt this and take it on board. Hope that answers your question, Jim. Well, it does. Yeah, and it's, you know, it goes back to the
0: responsibility, right? It's not your fault that you're learning to walk there, but it's your responsibility to do it. And you, re- I would say your mindset is part of that responsibility. We often talk about responsibility and accountability in terms of getting things done. But the way that we approach getting things done is also our responsibility as well. And you said something nice in there, and you know nobody would cut you slack. And I also love where you say, hey, I'm learning here. Right. So if you were to take this out of the context to put it in anybody else's context in terms of learning a new role or learning something new, it's a vulnerable moment, it's a difficult moment, and say, hey, I'm learning here, nobody's gonna cut you slack regardless, but it's still your responsibility to learn. It's still your responsibility to change that kind of mindset. Do you have any, I mean, that sounds good. We hear people about positive mindset all the time and you just have to change the way you think. Um, Any tips on what, you know, what made it easier for you to do that? Right. I like to give people the tangibles. Is it, you know, knowing that it's going to get easier or, knowing that this is the hardest and you're going to find cooler places to go? Or how do you find the way to enjoy something that you absolutely didn't
1: look forward to? Well, Thank you, Jim. That's a great question. I think like, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an, like an academic at all, but like I do think about things quite a lot. i quite in my own mind. And I thought about this, like, as I mentioned, like this is the worst. Well, why is it the worst? break it down for me. Why is this the worst place? And I mentioned all those reasons like, well, people bump into you. They crash past you. It's crowded. It's dirty. It's busy. It's hectic. I'm like, well, if you're learning to walk again, wouldn't you want to learn to walk in the in, in that kind of environment? Because that's stress testing you in this difficult situation. You want to be fed, spoon-fed this stuff. You want to be stress testing this in the worst environment in the world. So in fact, it's not the worst, it's the best. I really made a conscious effort of thinking through this process. And I knew that like, Look, there's been a number of peaks and valleys in this process, Jim. And and I knew that like my mindset was going to be so key for all this. The way I thought about it is so huge. Like there's a great quote from Epictetus that I use quite a lot. A through line in my talk, as a matter of fact, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. And with the brain hemorrhage, that's like a, a big blow. It's like, okay, but it's not a death blow. And how can you react? How can you learn from this? How can you like stress test yourself to like pick the stuff on board? Um, I guess to answer your question, like how would you reframe this? Like when you're lying in the hospital bed for hours on end, man, you got lots of time to think. And I just thought about how can I beat this? How can I gamify this and make it more fun to to accomplish these goals and walk? And like you mentioned the Ferrari, the naked walks, like I'm having fun here, Um, which is a big part of this process. Like how can I make this fun to do? And I, Kind of reveling, like I think, like I've, my friend introduced me to this this concept of post traumatic growth. I don't mean to jump ahead here, but I'll mention this briefly. And that's like you know this post traumatic stress, which is like when you are, let's say, you're in Afghanistan or something, and like a night, like a bomb goes off, and you're you carry that with you for years, and and it haunts you for years. Post-traumatic growth is kind of when something bad happens, but you kind of raise up to the challenge and beyond that. So like now every time something bad happens, I raise up to it. So for instance, this past summer, I got let go from my job at Hootsuite, which I was at for nine years. I got nothing but love for Hootsuite, don't get me wrong. But losing your job is never a good vibe, right? Now the stages, stages of grieving are like five stages. I've managed to kind of condense this down to like feeling shitty acceptance. Went for a boozy lunch. That afternoon, I went to the Apple store. I got a new computer because the next day I was hammering the speaking gig. What a great opportunity this is to me to get my speaking career going, to speak to organizations and companies about my perspective and mindset, how you can use this to be better than yesterday. I gave myself a lunch to feel bad and down. And then I was like, you know what? We're getting out of this tomorrow. We're getting out this today. Like I went to the Apple store that day. And the stages of grief have been, kind of been condensed to like feeling bad and acceptance is at the bottom. And I kind of just fast forward to acceptance because you can wish something didn't happen, but at the end of the day, it doesn't move you forward. You can wish all you want, but wishing is not going to do anything. Wishing the brain hemorrhage didn't happen is not going to do anything. Wishing the setback didn't happen is not going to do anything. Wishing the job loss isn't going to happen. Isn't going to do anything. I could be wishing this for like a year. And then at the end of that year, I'll still be, well, at square one when i could have been taking steps to progress myself if you accept it and move forward with it like everything's everything's on me everything's my fault or at least my responsibility as i mentioned like so my father lost my job it is my responsibility to do something about it now and now i get to pursue my speaking career that afternoon so it's like the mindset's so key for this because if you believe it in yourself and you believe it in your soul like your body will follow And I'm not saying this as like lip service of like, you should do this and you should have this positive mindset and great vibes. Like, no, it's not. It's not woohoo on you. It's like, this is how I live my life. This is how I progressed and navigated these situations. And they weren't easy, but it was simple to kind of navigate it because once you made that mind up, it's like, oh no, I'm not going right here. I'm going right around the corner, right around the bend. You kind of understand the road. You can kind of see the, the map and showcase where you want to go. That's a rant and a half there, Jim. But I hope that gives you some context of what I'm thinking about.
0: No, it does. And I love post-traumatic growth. It's um, And it almost goes hand in hand where it's for anything, right? Whether it's a new venture, whether it's a job you hate, whether it's going to a networking event, it's how do I make this fun? How can I actually enjoy myself today? Because we've got the judge of mindset going into these things of misery and difficulty and But logically, it's, you know, you are an individual. That was before. Now you are an individual had a brain hemorrhage. So it doesn't change anything. um, But I almost feel like, you know, post-traumatic growth is almost like pain tolerance. The more you meet it, the more you're able to handle. And the more you do it, the more you're able to. It's part of growing and learning after it. Would you agree
1: with something like that? 100%. And also, it's important to know the hardest thing you've ever been through is the hardest thing you've ever been through. So when I do my talk and it's like, well, I'm not going to have a brain hemorrhage. So like, I don't need to know your talk because that's not it. It's like, well, sure. Like a job loss and a, and a brain hemorrhage is not the same thing, but the mindset you use to adapt to a brain hemorrhage can be used on someone who loses a job or loses a loved one or gets a diagnosis. The adversity and resilience you need to foster in yourself to navigate this is the same, same steps, like to understand what it is and to get that acceptance piece, because the faster you can get to acceptance the faster you can progress. Acceptance doesn't mean it's fair, doesn't mean it's even, doesn't mean it's justified, but it means it is what it is. Don't worry about what you can't control. Control the controllables is something that I always say. If you worry about stuff you can't control, you're not gonna get anywhere. You're gonna spin your tires forever and ever and ever. I just punt that. If I can't control it, I punt it. I give zero, zero Fs about it. Like I'm not worried about stuff I can't control. Can I influence it? Yes, no, if no, Zero zero F's with that. If yes, then I worry about this and I and I take on board what I can do. Um I've lost track of your question now, Jim and hopefully that offers some perspective.
0: No, it does, yeah. And it's, you know, as as we think about the responsibility you have. We've talked before this about you know feeling sorry for yourself. Right. And I feel like that's a step in between of situation happens, and then you've got the acceptance in between, there's the feeling sorry. Do you eliminate that or how do you overcome that? I mean it's it's one thing to say, "Oh, we'll just have fun, so I won't feel sorry for myself," but people deal with, you know, traumatic events which shouldn't be skipped over. I mean, what happened to you is a traumatic event and yet you're not feeling sorry for yourself. Right? You're you're flipping this into an opportunity. So how do you and that's difficult, I guess everybody does it differently, but talk about feeling sorry for yourself I think would be something very relevant and you'd almost get the agency to do that where people would say, yeah, I get it. Talk to me about, you know, feeling sorry for yourself. Do you ever, and, and how do you change
1: that mindset? Well, I'll give you like the example of the lowest I've ever been in my life, Jim, which is, so the setback happened. I got back to walk and back to work um, for two months. And then I had a second setback that happened. I was found unconscious in my flat by my mom the shunt that's in my brain had blocked leading to hydrocephalus or water on the brain. It resulted in an ambulance ride, another bad haircut and a new medical alert bracelet. So I had traumatic brain surgery because the shunt blocked and I woke up in the hospital for the second time here the beeping of the, the, the heart rate monitors, not the respirator this time, but the heart rate monitors is what, what happened? What happened? Like, well, Dan, you had a second setback. You need emergency brain surgery. I'm like, what do you mean? You're like, well, you're back in the hospital. This happened two days ago. You're working on getting back to normal. I'm like, so this happened again? Like, yeah, it's very rare. It happens less than 10% of cases. I'm like, okay. And man, was I low. Like all my progress, I just got back to work. And you're telling me that's ripped away from you? Like Like overnight? I was... Oh, talk about a pity party, man. I was woe's me for a couple of days. A couple of days of straw. I'm like, well, this isn't fair. This isn't fair at all. Like, it's not fair. You're right. And where's that thinking going to get you? Like, I could be woes me, poopy pants, the whole time, or I could just, you know what? I know how to build back better. I know how to do this. I've done this once before. This time I can walk, so I'm not in the same position I was before. I can get back to work and progressively build back towards what i'm doing i already been through rehab so i wasn't entitled to go through rehab again which is a big knock i did this all on my own at home through like phone conferences or like in-person meets at my home flat like that was tremendously low and i gave myself a few days to feel bad and low but i knew that at the end of the day like i said it's not my fault but it's my responsibility no one no one's coming to save you like if you want to get out of this hole you're gonna to have to chop wood carry water is what i say which means like get to work like progressively get to work chop wood carry water put the work in and get your perspective right to like build back up like it's not and that was like that was pretty low jim i'm not gonna lie to you that was like everyone's against me why is this why does this happen to me this isn't fair and you know, that's wrong it's not fair but at the end of the day, it's not going to get you anywhere. I can say it's not fair to the cows come home. Right. Oh. Bless you. It doesn't change anything.
0: How about this? Any. Talk to me about, I didn't know you before this, obviously. Um, yeah. How has this entire experience changed? I mean, we know it changed you. Okay. Yes, obviously. But how does it change your belief system? Has it solidified one in, in your mind? Do you feel like you have a new perspective on responsibility? I'm sure you do, but you know, would you say that you're capable almost of more now than you were before, based on mindset? Talk to me a little bit about your belief system and
1: and what's changed over the last eight years now. Thanks, Jim. That's a good question. I think before this happened, I was really happy, a lucky guy. I still am, but everything came easy to me, or at least I made it seem like it did. I kind of figured out a way to work things like with with life with work with girls like everything just kind of came easy to me and then this brain hemorrhage happens and everything's stripped away and nothing's easy you know getting into a wheelchair takes 30 minutes and 25 then 20 then 15 like it's like every ounce of me is going into this and I, like i really made an effort not to show that i was trying before this happened and after it happened i want to show that i'm trying because i am trying I'm trying my damnest to make this happen. My perspective's changed dramatically, Jim. It's like everything on me now. I've read this book, um, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. I'm not sure if you've read that one. Essentially, it goes everything on me. Everything's my responsibility. Everything's my fault. Everything's in my power to control and improve. And I'm kind of a self-help junkie. I love improving myself and, and finding little hacks to make things better and easier. So I've got a great morning routine. So I'll I'll wake up early, go for exercise, workout, go for a meditation, go for a cold shower. Like I have these habits that I put in place to kind of make myself be better than yesterday. So my perspective changed tremendously, Jim. And it's been because of this experience, because I've had to navigate this. I've had to navigate this. If I didn't, I would wouldn't be here. I believe that I am I am where I am today because of the habits I put in place. And I am where I am today because of the mindset I put in place to allow me to get those habits. Talk to me about your hacks.
0: Um, you talked a little bit about constructive optimism, I think is probably a hack. You've got your morning routine and the habits, which is setting yourself up for success. Do you have any favorite hacks that you could share with people that you'd want to, you know, is one of those your best or, or what would you want to, what would you want to share on that?
1: I yeah, one that I'll share with you jim and one that i mentioned earlier i think uh was called ice ice breakers ice breakers so when you're walking with double vision and you're like fatigue is a big thing with me and i'm seeing two like i see two of you right now right so my brain's processing two and the the mind the wheels are spinning it's a lot of bandwidth and energy to like do this any chance i can say bandwidth i do that because it allows me to be better for longer I say that like I'm walking around at 75% battery. When I wake up, every minute I wake up is like 74, 73, 72. When I get below 50, I'm a less pleasant. Below 30, I'm a bit of a prick. I need to meditate to recharge and refresh that. But icebreaker is one thing that I use to like walking in a busy city. So you're from New York, I used to live in London. So the circuses in London are just that a bloody circus. Piccadilly Circus, Oxford Circus chaos it's madness i found this hack called an icebreaker so what you want to do is find a fellow pedestrian walk in your direction and walk behind them in their slipstream in their wake in their and their icebreak wake if you would let them face the oncoming traffic and you walk behind them and that saves bandwidth because you're not dealing with the frontal abrasive walking through you're getting the wake of their walking like an icebreaker would so like you just follow behind the icebreaker and this seems like a stupid hack, and it is stupid, but like it, it saves little bits of bandwidth and allows me to be better for longer. Because if I don't do this, if I'm the guy breaking the ice, it just drains your battery more. And that battery is so important to me now that I want to protect it at all costs. And it's a fun way of me to identify these when I'm walking through the circuses in London, like a, a um a stroller or a pram. A great icebreaker, because it takes a lot of space. Like a couple walking, great icebreaker, taking a lot of space. You walk behind them and let them take the frontal impact. I've also got another one, Jim, that I'll share with you is um, timer on the phone. So, or alarm on the phone, let's say. If you remember something you want to do, you set the alarm on your phone. Well, let's say, I don't know, it's 10.30 my time in Vancouver. So I set it for like three o'clock. write a writing on my phone saying, email Jim speaking assets. Alarm, 3.30. And then I, when the alarm goes off at 3.30, I check my phone to know that, oh, I got an email, Jim, the speaking assets. And I would have forgotten that otherwise. Or timer on my phone. If I'm you know scrolling Instagram or, or uh, YouTube at nighttime before bed, I'll set my timer for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. When the timer goes off, time to go to bed. Like I use the phone to help me be better and to remind me to keep on track. So it's the way that I've kind of hacked my life because I need those hacks now because things aren't as easy as they used to be for me. a lot of work to keep this on the, on the tracks. Right. And if I don't do those things, things slip and I don't want to be slip. I'm trying to trying to keep myself looking a certain way, presenting a certain way, being a certain way. Yeah. And it sounds, I mean, if you were to take that
0: metaphorically, it's almost your icebreaker could be your social network, your, um, use of technology in a way to keep you focused rather than distract your focus. Um, and it's just being intentional with all of the actions because right, we everyone's got a drain battery um, and it's important to keep that focus and, and, and keep it at its max. What's um? so you said before speaking assets, talk to me a little bit about what's next for you, how and anything anyone could do to support you. I know you're, you're big on the speaking circuit now. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks, Jim.
1: Uh, I'm going into speaking full bore here. Like I'm, I'm trying to make a difference and share my perspective and change your team's perspective. Like I've got a like a a, a whole treasure trove full of assets and hacks and, and mindsets and perspective that I can impart on your team to help them shift their perspective and and shift how they view things. I've identified a few problems that I can really help address in that, with regards to retention, helping your team understand. You know what they've got, their perspective, of where they're at, and help save you retention. Also, culture. Uh, I really think I can impart some into culture to understand who, what they've got, and just how do they view things differently. That perspective of like the worst to the best. Help you impart that. And the last one I think it really pairs with, with the sales training. Uh, we spend a lot of money on sales training these days. We see these big booms after the sales training, but after the, after a few months it reverts back to medium, and it dips down. What's missing is the perspective and the mindset. You wired the house properly, let me show you how to turn on the switch. If I can give your team the tools, the assets, the perspective needed to be better than yesterday, maybe that stays higher longer above the median. But my passion speaking, Jim, and I really want to share the lessons learned because it would be a shame to leave these lessons learned on the sidelines of life. I paid for these in blood, sweat, and tears, and I've fallen down seven times to get up eight. And I'm busted my ass to make this happen and i've, I've paid for these price i paid a steep price for these and i paid them by touching the stove no but it's hot and sometimes i forget that it's hot and i touch it again let me tell your team that uh i want to you know I'm, I'm really driven to do this because i want to make a difference and i want to make in part the lessons i've learned with your team i think that's something I'd love for your audience. You know, feel Please feel free to reach out to me as a speaker. I've done a lot of online and in-person speaking opportunities. Uh, as I mentioned, the job loss this summer was a knock, but not a death blow and, and a good opportunity for me to get the speaking going on, on as a full-time gig now. So that's the best way I can imagine to reach out to me. And that's you know best done over LinkedIn or the website's going to be up over the next week. And that's McQueenDan.com.
0: Perfect. Very good. So McQueenDan.com. find them on LinkedIn. We, we usually wrap these up, Dan, with book recommendations. Uh, I got two for you, man. And I got two questions for you afterwards, if you don't mind. Of course you can ask away. I know you told me that before we started recording and I'm very nervous
1: about what your questions are going to be. (laughs) So I had two books for you. One fiction, one nonfiction. The first is a nonfiction. You heard of this one? No. Spark. So it's like a Myers Briggs test, but it's like a more modified version. Help you identify what lights you up in work. So for instance, my work spark is the sage or the advisor. Is the my spark attack and the sage is my shadow, and the essentialist is my anti spark attack. Which means like I get drained by doing like admin, but I get I get really fired up by offering advice or or listening and offering some perspective on both elements of that so that's my non-fiction which is good that you're getting into speaking now by the
0: way very good exactly
1: yeah exactly it's a good fit right yeah and my fiction is actually a book my dad wrote oh nice called hero haters this came out recently it's a it's a it's a thriller book based on um a gripping tale of uh an author who gets you know, part of the hero medals, they start disappearing. There's a big mystery around this. This is his first book. He was a journalist for his whole career. And his first published book, he's getting a lot of good reviews on this. You can buy this on Amazon or Goodreads or Indigo in Canada. But it's called Hero Haters. And I really recommend this. I haven't finished it myself. I'm working my way through it, but it's a great book. I will read it. That's perfect. You uh, can ask you a few questions. Do it. You ready for this? You've been nervous. nice. Um, so question one. If You could go back in time. You go back in time and ask your younger self or tell your younger self some hacks or truths about podcasting before you started this. What would they be from what you know now? Um, truths about podcasting.
0: One, you've
1: learned about podcasting
0: with what I've learned about one. Number one is just get started because nobody's going to listen to it at the beginning. So you can always make your practice ones, and if you don't like it, you can delete it. But as long as you take the effort to put it in and you get the practice down, eventually you'll put it out. That's one. Two, when you do put it out and people do listen to it, nobody's going to give you the negative feedback you thought you were going to get. Right. And people are incredibly supportive, and that's great. Um, and so I guess if I were to wrap that up is, do it. Take that risk, and don't worry what other people are doing because it's not a race. Build your
1: own. That would be okay, my that's advice. A good question: See, pretty easy question. Pretty easy question. Second one. Yeah. Um, you've spoken to a wide variety of guests around a wide variety of of subject matters. What are some lessons you've learned yourself from these interviews? That you like hold dear to your heart, and you kind of take on board with your in your everyday life.
0: Um, everyone on the planet has something interesting to share, and it's um, you know if you look at my guests, the majority of my guests uh, are normal people in extraordinary circumstances, or with really good, just things that we don't really focus on right? All the way back to my first episode on a a guy who does lean. He's a good friend of mine in a bank, how he implemented lean processes into his house to keep the family organized. I thought it was super awesome. Um, Friends who are public speaking coaches giving their advice, people like you who have had incredible things happen to them and how they're resilient in a real resiliency way. And have come back and could share their wisdom. Um, Everybody on the planet has something excellent to share. Would be my my one thing to say to that, um, and that's probably what I take away from all my guests.
1: Jim, that's fantastic. I um, hope I answered them okay. No, those are very good questions. Thank you. They're very good answers. Thank you. I think they're really good to know because you've had the experience of speaking with so many people. I was really curious to see what landed with you and what was a big takeaway. That's good to know. Everyone's got something interesting to say. I like that a lot. They do. Yeah, it's you know they just don't know to say it,
0: um, or they don't necessarily have the opportunity. But Dan, you had the opportunity today and I appreciate it. This is, um, this is you know, it's an incredible story and it's an amazing lesson. And as things go so quickly, if anything, it'll make someone hear this, reevaluate what's important, reevaluate their own particular situation, get some good perspective on, you know, the difficulties that, that we could be facing and everything else.
1: If I may, Jim, yeah. life happens for you, not to you. Mm -hmm. and I believe that with all my heart like I get up every day I'm like I get to do this and you know stuff can happen to you that kind of sets you back it's like you know what you get to do this you get to navigate through this difficult time and now I feel not invincible because that's the wrong word but like what are you gonna come at me with man like what what is the world going to throw at me that's gonna be so shocking and, and perplexing for me not to navigate? It? It's like, well, I'm losing my job this summer. Like, well, that was a that was a blow for sure. That's a hard blow. But like, compared to what I've been through, that's like a very minor blip on my radar. And like when you start addressing this difficult stuff, you start being able to realize that you can navigate this in a better way. One hack, one more hack I want to share with your team here, Jim, is cold showering.
0: Yes. Sounds
1: off-putting sounds gross. I know. I was a bit of an apprehensive guy myself back in the day. Now I shower and I had cold every day for two to three minutes. And I hyperventilate and I force myself to go into a stressful state. And I get out of that shower and you're still warm from the shower, you get a little, little, little sleeve of cold on you and you just feel invigorated and, and take on the day. But you're making yourself go into that hardship every day on purpose. That one you face in your real life, you can navigate this in a much more pragmatic and thoughtful way. I'm telling you this. Try the cold shower. Jim, have you tried the cold shower before? I, I do a cold shower every morning. Absolutely. You start. And warm I started and it during the
0: pandemic. I start warm. And then at the end, I turn it to cold. Yeah,
1: it's it's such a simple thing. But it's, it's like the mindset of this, right? Like you're, you're you're making yourself go into the struggle and not like when you turn it cold. You're always like, oh, it's got a second here. Warm, you got a second here. Warm. And then it comes at you, and you start breathing heavily. But enduring that every day makes you makes the day easier because you've already faced that struggle in the day, right? Anyways, that's the last little bit I've got to share with your team. I've got tons of hacks, tons of stories, tons of perspective. One last thing I want to mention, Jim, is that I'm trying to get a TED Talk going. I've got a TED Talk identified with um, a couple stories. One of the stories I mentioned. Well, two of the stories I mentioned on this podcast today was uh, the clicker and the splint. And I've got one more about skiing, which I didn't share with you today. But that's what I'd like to do for the TED Talk. That's kind of my next goal is even for that. And just just excited for the opportunity ahead of me. It's awesome. And I like what you said before. You get to do it. I get to to do it. it. And I get to chase this down. It's like I get to chase it down, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Well, Dan, thank
0: you on behalf of everybody else. Thank you so much. Um, we'll get you that TED Talk. Someone who's listening, let's go. Let's get him a TED Talk um, because more people need to hear your story and, and it's a helpful story. So um, thank you as always. And thank you everybody for listening. Um, I always appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. And if you're looking for a speaker, if you're looking for a workshop, Dan's your man. He's got you covered. Uh, Again, McQueenDan.com and check him out on LinkedIn as well. I'll put all the links on Bellwether Hub. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. Now, do something for yourself. Bellwether is much more than just a podcast. Join us at com, where you can read riveting articles, view upcoming events and connect with other interesting people. I look forward to seeing you out there soon.